Hello friends, welcome to the show. I'm Tom Broback and my guest today is Nick Lovis. Nick has been the head track and field coach for over a dozen years at Hopkins High School in Minnesota. He coined the moniker Tracktown Minnesota for Hopkins because he believes so much in his mission to help athletes of all ages develop a love for track and field. Even after winning multiple state championships and even coaching an Olympic sprinter, Nick is still on this mission to serve others. I'm absolutely pumped to share this episode with you and I hope you gain some valuable knowledge from our conversation. Well, I mean, we're only two days away from our fall break in Minnesota, the um, Education Minnesota Fall Conference. So uh, kids are ready for a break and teachers are too. We've been five days a week since Labor Day. So this will be our first, uh, this is our first shortened week of the year. Um, and after, you know, after having a year and a half of disruption in the classroom, you can really feel um, six weeks of solid five days a week. Um, it's, we got baptized by fire <laughs> at the start of the school year. It's almost the opposite of last year when you had um, all these interruptions, like you said, kids from home, some kids in school, uh, every school district was doing different things, masks, no masks. And now it's kind of, this is back to, um, how it used to be, which is a big change, especially, uh, I'm sure for like freshmen or kids starting new school, um, that's gotta be a big change based on last year when there's, there was probably weeks that they didn't see a lot of their friends or their teachers. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. There's, you know, there's catching up all around and I teach freshmen. So, they, they were disrupted halfway through their seventh grade year um, and missed a crucial eighth grade year. And in our school district, we still have grades seven, eight, nine in the junior high. Okay. I think, I think we're one of only two school districts in the entire state of Minnesota that still has that set up. So um, they got to be freshmen this year um, without kind of the natural uh, progression of um, experience at in within our building do you think there's an advantage to having like that seventh, eighth and ninth grade group and then 10th 11th 12th yeah yeah i mean i think it's a horse i think i think there are pros and cons to um to all of the setups it's really about how um the the school utilizes the position that they have um you can you can make a 9 through 12 building great you can make a 10 through 12 mm -hmm. building great um and they can, they can also be very poor. So, um, you know, it, it's, uh, we, we talk in the schools about the collective efficacy and what you think, um, the, the potential the, of the staff can kind of collectively see in the entire, um, work that they do, um, and the mission that they pursue. So I think it's, uh, um, I think it works and, um, I think it's constantly being evaluated and I know our school board is going to vote next month. Um, if it's something we're going to continue to have. Uh, this last year has been, uh, quite challenging for teachers and coaches. What part, both academically and athletically, what part of your either coaching career or teaching career do you think helped you most kind of get through these last 18 months of chaos? Um, I, I, as a as a teacher, it's absolutely the my colleagues and the people around me. And I would say the same thing is probably true as a coach. Um, you know, the culture of uh, our school um, 
I, I don't, I don't have a lot of, I teach freshman civics, so I don't have a lot of, uh, work working. I don't have a close working relationship with our math department or our science department, um, unless we're talking about a student that we share. Um, but within our social studies department, um, I've got great coworkers. Um, and as a coach, I have a great, great coaching staff. So that without a doubt, um, has been crucial as for me professionally, um, to navigate the waters and realize that, um, I'm doing something that no one else has ever done before, but we can lean on each other and it'll, it'll be okay. We'll, our best will be good enough. A lot of coaches talk about establishing a culture. We'll kind of switch over to sports here. Um, establishing a culture within their team. And we saw this a lot in the last two years, which teams had good cultures seem to thrive and do super well. And the teams that struggled to identify what theirs were or didn't have a strong one really faltered when they couldn't practice or they couldn't uh, have normal communication and there's a lot of adversity. What are, uh, what is your definition of culture and how have you established that over at Hopkins? You know, I don't think I have a definition of culture. Um, I think, I think if I were to try to define culture um, and, and have a, uh, an encyclopedia of terminology. Mm -hmm. um, I, I couldn't keep up with PJ Fleck at the University of Minnesota. Um, so do do we have do we have our sayings and um, our own lexicon? Not really. Um, I think our culture is first defined by the relationships of um, our coaches and um, our with our athletes. So. Um, and there are, there are a lot of, a lot of ways that I think our culture has, um, has served us well over the past decade. And, um, you know, we fall back on our, um, common denominators in times of crises and times of turmoil. And the last 18 months, uh, certainly has been a time of turmoil. And, um, when we can settle on the foundation of who we are and what we do and why we do it, um, uh, I think we've had good experiences, um, and, still see excitement about a season that's five months away. Absolutely. And in preparation for this next uh, track season, what do you, what lessons have you learned from COVID that you think can translate into success this upcoming year when COVID still present, but hopefully less of a, less of a, an obstacle for, for not only the coaches, but the athletes, parents at home and everyone involved in a track program. Yeah. I, I think we always knew and I say you as a universal we, those of us mm -hmm. who work with young people and uh, amongst teams, we always knew how important communication was. And um, that was highlighted in the past year and a half that um, your communication um, is, um, is what, what everybody's going to um, thrive or die on. And that, that, was a, that was a big piece about what we did uh, before. Um, attempted communication, not just within our season, but year round, um, you know, our connections between our athletes and between our coaches is really important to us um, and connections between the athletes um, and each other as teammates. Um, that's a big emphasis of who we are from uh, late summer through February um, is um, making those connections, nurturing the relationships. Um, a lot of our athletes talk about um, our team has a family feel, um, and you know, families can pursue the same goal. Um, and if you can, if you can do it in an uncommon way, 
um, then it's a, it's a neat thing for everyone to feel a little bit like they're a pioneer of, um, of on the edge, on the verge of something great. So yeah, connections, uh, nurturing those relationships. Um, and in the past 18 months, Tom, we've, we've all needed more and more and more connections and relationships. Um, and, uh, the more that the, the more ways that we can do that, um, the, I think the, the better off we'll all be, um, as, as people, not just as, you know, parts of a team. What are some of those either unique or are common ways you help build connections with 14 year old, 15 year old, 16, 17, 18 year old kids who are probably pretty up and down day to day, emotionally, uh, stress wise, uh, focus wise. How do you build on those, uh, connections? Um, I, I, I mean, there's so many ways I want to answer that question, Tom, but, Mm -hmm. um, I think first and foremost, it's, um, it, it's to know them personally. Um, I think to be able to, um, get through the, the filter that, teenagers inherently have they know who's authentic and then they know who's not mm-hmm. um and if if you can get through that filter and um they believe you when you say that there is no place i would rather be and no one i would rather be with right now than you um and they know that that is authentically true whether you're sitting together watching a volleyball game because you showed up to support a teammate or a football game um or you caught each other walking through the hall um as you were going to make a photocopy and they're on their way to get a drink from the drinking fountain um i think that that one-on-one connection is really important um and um to be seen to be known to be noticed um and to know that you're valued um is um i it feels like a desert it feels like that that just needs to be watered amongst all of us um at this time so um, the seeds planted and now let's just water it. Let's nurture that and, and see what can grow. I couldn't agree more. I went to high school with three of my brothers. We were in total five years apart and I had a couple of cousins and it was always kind of nice being part of the Broback brothers. You had that familiarity with, with coaches kind of going into a season or if you had new teachers, things like that. Um, but there was a little bit of part where you felt like just a number where they would call you the wrong name and it's like well that's my brother and it's like do they they kind of know me but do they actually know me uh but bringing that personal aspect like they know something about you they know your likes and interests and dislikes uh and that communication piece i think uh too often as a as a coach or for me as a therapist i interact in people with people in the ways that i think is most beneficial but i don't i need to read the way they want to interact. And for example, I'm really uncomfortable uh, with prolonged silence. I just need to fill it with either talking or stories or music. And some people are really okay with that. And sometimes if you want the best outcome, you need to be uncomfortable with the way they want to either give or receive feedback. Uh, So that's one thing I've learned recently is uh, really focusing on how does the other person interact with me best and not just how can this situation uh, reflect on me the best as well? Yeah. You know, I love that. You talk about silence and and I I love that scene from little miss sunshine. um, When uh, I I think the character's name is Frank and he just learns that uh, no, he's not, I can't remember his name, Uh, but the son, he learns that he's colorblind um, and his uh, in your face, uncle 
um, just states to him plainly, oh, that's too bad. You'll never be a a fighter pilot. And that's all he's ever wanted to be. And you could tell that his whole life, he was kind of directionless, but that was one thing. And his mom and dad knew that that was one thing that, that he had direction toward was becoming a fighter pilot. And then he learned he was colorblind and he jumps out of the car and he goes down in the ditch and nobody knows what to do um, except for his sister. And all she did was went and sat next to him. She didn't say a thing. She just sat next to him, shared the same space. um, And without saying anything, told him, there is no one I'd rather be with and no place that I would rather be than with you right here, right now. And um, teams provide that. You know, when you make a one-on-one connection with a a kid um, or with a coach and you invite them to become a part of uh, something with you together, it can be, it's, it's a really powerful space. And when you have relationships that are built on that same foundation of um, you're valuable, then they'll find more relationships that support them within that team and within that culture. Um, and, and I think that as a, as a program, that's one of our, that's one of our primary goals um, is to be, to be a space where you'll be welcomed and um, you get to be a part of something really cool because we think we do cool things when we're all together. Um, and the goals that we pursue that we share um, in common, we want them, we want them to be so audacious that um, you see your place in it and you see your, your space as, uh, or your place as necessary. Um, and it can't be, it can't be the same without you. That reflects on one of my favorite sayings that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. And uh, in that team aspect, it, it's, it's really easy to get, uh, you know, you just want to identify like what is best for me. Um, and in the short term, that might work. In the short term, you might get what you want. In the short term, you might benefit ahead. But at some point, you are not going to get as far because so many things in life, whether we're talking about sports, whether we're talking about work, whether we're talking about family, you do better with this, like we're human beings. We are designed to work with each other, to need one another, to support each other, to have that uh, emotional support, whether it is someone just telling you like, there's nowhere I'd rather be than here, or just that moment of silence or that encouragement, that pat on the back. Um, and that, yeah. that team aspect uh, really makes a big difference, I think, because a lot of coaches I talk to, they either had one or two experiences either they had terrible coaches growing up and they want to change that, or they had great coaches growing up and they wanted to continue that tradition. Did you fall in either of those camps? Uh, I had both. (laughs) Um, I, and I, and I think I'm really lucky to have had both of those experiences. I had great teammates and I had poor teammates. Um, I had uh, great coaches and I had coaches who the season, the end of the season couldn't have come fast enough. Um, and I'm thankful for those experiences now. I sure didn't understand the value of them in the moment, uh, but I'm thankful for them now. Um, and um, you know, one one of the um, one more one more thought I have, Tom, about the culture that we have at Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we uh, we, we kind of play a long game um, at Hopkins about you know who who we are and what we are. We're we're known as a basketball school. Um, we have several alumni who are playing in the NBA right now. Um, and Paige Becker's the most dominant um, female basketball player and maybe basketball player period um, is graduated from Hopkins just in 2020. Um, and we're known as a basketball school. We're constantly, our boys and girls teams are um, constantly ranked in the top 25 nationwide. Um, and, and in 2010, we went to, uh, Nike track nationals for two years, Nike hosted a, 
kind of a team competition that was competed regionally online. And then the winning team from each region was invited out to Eugene, um, Mm -hmm. to Hayward field. And our, our girls qualified at the time I was our girls head coach. They qualified in 2010 and again in 2011. And, uh, when I was out there watching it in 2010, as a spectator walking around track town USA, I just thought, man, there's no reason we can't do this in Minnesota. Um, we're going to go home and we're going to call ourselves track town, Minnesota, not, not because we've earned that moniker, uh, but because um, I want all kids growing up in Hopkins to know that they can see themselves as uh, putting on the spikes and running around our oval and not only think that they have to be a basketball player. You know, the rate of attrition in basketball is about as bad as it gets in high school sports. You dwindle it down to five participants mm-hmm. at a time and that's it in track and field. We've got the greatest thing in high school track and field going in this whole country, and that's true team, which we can talk about because it is the core to our team and the core to our culture is, is uh, true team track and field. Uh, and so I said, I, I want, we want those kids to know that, that they can look up to being a member of Tracktown, Minnesota, and they can see themselves putting on the spikes and putting on the shoes and doing what we do. Um, and they'll see T-shirts walking around town that our high school kids wear uh, and our junior high athletes and our coaches. Um, so we, we established then that, um, the long game is to become track town, Minnesota. It's been 10, it's been over 10 years now. Um, I don't, I don't know that we've lived up to, you know, the pressure of the moniker of being track town whenever we go to a meet and, you know, uh, being a perennial contender for a state championship. Um, but I do know that we have, a uh, we've had hundreds of, um, alumni now who are off in college who grew up as first, second, third graders, um, watching those older athletes mm-hmm. give back to them, um, and have become a part of track town. So in that way, it's been working great. Absolutely. Let's talk about true team track a little bit. We have a lot of track coaches that listen to the podcast yeah. and I didn't know if other States had this, if this is unique to Minnesota, but, uh, in high school, I ran track four years and I was well familiar with true team just cause our we are track team having to be uh, pretty strong and we did pretty well, but uh, explain what your team is and why do you think it's a benefit uh, yeah. to your program and to your coaches as a whole? Yeah. You know, in traditional track and field scoring, you go to a, you go to a meet and it might be an invitational or maybe it's the state meet and um, you, you could score it by the book where first place gets 10 points, second place gets eight, 10, eight, six, five, four, three, two, one. And you score it out that way. And if you're the ninth place finisher, you don't score any points for your team, but but boy, you must have been really important to your team all season as a, as a relay member and um, in other places. You just don't score. Well, Minnesota, as I understand, we're the only state in the nation that has a true team scoring. So if we attend, uh, for instance, our state meet, 12 teams qualify and are invited to our state meet. Um, and it's, it's run by the Coaches Association. It's not sponsored by our, um, our official state high school league mm-hmm. um, or federation. So 12 teams qualify through um, their own qualification process of, of a qualifying meet. And at that meet, every team gets to enter three athletes in each event. So we all have three in the hundred. We all have three in the 200. We all have one relay. And with 12 teams and three athletes, there are 36 kids running the hundred. So the way that you can um, score the quality of an entire team is to enter three athletes. That's your varsity. First place gets 36 points. Second place scores 35. Fourth place, third place scores 34. And it goes all the way down to last place still scores one point for their team. Uh, And as relays, every relay member is worth one point, just like in the open events. 
So first place in a 12-team meet scores 48 points. The last place relay team scores four. That's a lot of points to be scored in a track and field mm-hmm. meet. Um, but, you know, we've been lucky in 2011, our girls team uh, won the true team state championship, uh, 877 points to 874 and a half, a two and a half point margin was all. Um, and the, we had uh, three girls that day who took last place. Uh, another girl took last place and another girl took second to last. And it felt so good to be able to tell them that their four points mattered um, at the state meet. Because without, without them getting a mark, if they had fouled, fouled out of the sector, True. even if they're our True. top athlete mm-hmm. or, um, or our last athlete um, in that event, they scored points and they did what they had to do for the team. Um, and that, home, that brought home our, first, our school's first ever True Team State Championship. Uh, in 2019, our boys won the True Team State Championship. Um, and it, it has changed um, everything about track and field for us um, in Minnesota for the for the the schools who who adopt that as their philosophy and as a part of their culture um and it is absolutely who we are at hopkins one thing i liked about true team is it gave another kind of big prize to look forward to at the end of the year you have your conference meet you have your section meet and then you also have this true team section meet and there's multiple opportunities not only to perform well um, but to come together as a team and to strive for a common goal that that everyone can be a part of because at some schools, the, the section meet, you might only have one or two kids that, that qualify and move on to the state meet. And then uh, at least when I was in high school, the state meet was always after the school year ended. So the interest level at a school wide was, was quite a bit uh, less in, in imagine track getting less attention than it does. <laughs> but uh, that true team part, it, like you said, everyone competing has to do their best because it comes down to a couple points sometimes. And if you uh, don't get a mark in, then that might be the difference between a first and a second place. I also yep. like it a lot because I think very often track, uh, especially like watching the Olympics this last year, everyone cares about like who got first, like who won the gold, who did the best, but then those, you know, fifth versus six versus seven, like those places really get lost and, and it matters. It matters that uh, if an athlete has a PR that day and they get, uh, four more points than they would have on a normal day. Like that, those things really matter. And I think it buys in uh, the athletes uh, desires to improve and to, to participate and contribute to the team. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, we've been, we've been real blessed to have some incredible athletes. Um, as you know, Tom, we had a couple of alumni who competed in Tokyo this summer, um, which was really unique to see two kids from the same high school. Um, and they were only four years apart in high school, uh, cross country teammates, but never track. Um, they lived for true team, mm-hmm. their entire, their entire seasons there, um, were, were shaped by true team. Uh, Joseph Fombele, who, uh, placed fifth in the 200 at just 19 years old. Um, he, he could have scored us points, um, in, in the hundred and the 200 and stuck him in a relay and we could have felt real secure about it. But he knew that if we put him in four individual events and took him off of a relay, um, Joe, today, you're going to, you're going to triple jump, um, and you're going to high jump. And I know you might only go six feet and you're going to be disappointed in yourself because you want to jump six, six, but six feet is a lot of points for the team. Because if we can take you out, um, if we can put you in the high jump, then we can use another athlete in a different event and it'll overall make our, the depth of our team, um, a lot stronger. The, that same year we had a, we had a zoom meeting just like this with Justin Gatlin 
before we competed in the state meet, uh, we had a connection to, he joined us on a zoom call, um, for, uh, or might've been a FaceTime, um, at our team, team dinner before the state meet. And we were explaining true team to him. And he, uh, and he was like, Oh man, I think my coach would have had me throwing the shot put. He would have had me long jumping. Um, and it was just fun to hear him, uh, talk about, you know, the place where he would have been. Um, and, and a lot of, a lot of athletes love that, that, that high school team experience. And there's nothing better for a team experience than true team track and field. I like that a lot. Cause track and field, it's a very individual sport. You're running by yourself. There are some relay components, but typically you're running by yourself. You're throwing by yourself. You're pole vaulting by yourself. Everything is kind of on you, which, which is good. I think it builds a lot of confidence and, uh, uh, requirement of the athlete to believe in themselves, to be accountable, uh, to show up to practice and, and give their best effort because they can't defer to another teammate. They can't defer to the coach on game day. They have to show up and compete, but it also kind of blends those individual uh, goals and ideas together. And we're in this together and we're trying to win uh, a medal or compete the best that we can. And, and I, we've talked about this a little bit or, you know, how do you set goals? How do you set expectations what do you strive for as a program and it seems that you're a little bit more mission-based which which i've talked a lot about with tony holler and other members of 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 tfc and feed the cats that that this overriding mission is a a better way you think to not only run a program but to live your life yeah and i don't know where i don't i wish i could tell you who the um who, who should get credit for all the quotes and cliches that coaches use um, because we steal from each other all the time. And I don't know, I don't know where the, where the, the quote or the cliche comes from, but um, we, I, I say over and over and over until I'm blue in the face. And I do it as a teacher too. Um, when I'm teaching freshman civics, success is a byproduct. That's not your goal. Your goal is not the A um, that will come as a result of you setting goals along the process of becoming better um, as a student or as uh, an athlete or as a captain or as a teammate, when you set goals um, and you trust the process of those goals, your success will be a byproduct. And when we can talk about them together and we can share a mission that has clear action and investment, and we know that there's an end point that we're, that we're all pursuing um, and that end point feels uh, vital. To, to what we want to accomplish. Um, we, we, we see that as a mission and, um, and, and then it, and then it puts the process on, uh, the individual and on the self, um, to say, I see my place in this. And if I can, and if I can trust my own process and set my own goals and let my success be the byproduct of the things that I do, then my own flavor, uh, my own contributions, the ingredient I bring to this team um, is going to give us, uh, I'm mixing so many metaphors here, but it's, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna really give us a, a rich tasting, um, man, we, we've got such boring food here in Minnesota. It's probably like a gumbo, right? Like you just throw it all, <laughs> you just throw it all in the pot and you get this awesome, deep, flavorful, savory gumbo. The, the mission and endpoint have to override any like obstacle that can come up. And I didn't really realize that till a little bit later in life. Like it has to overcome having to get up at 5 a.m. It has to overcome uh, losing or not having a perfect record. It has to overcome all these obstacles that you might encounter because things like a state championship or a perfect record or being all conference, 
Like some days you're not going to want those things. Some days they're going to seem too far off. Some days they'll seem impossible or your, your focus might shift a little bit. And I think, uh, I wish I would have known that in high school. And because I had all of these extrinsic goals of being this and winning that and, and getting this medal or this trophy or this banner. And at the end of the day, so much of that is out of our control. You can be the best athlete of all time and you might not win a state championship. You might not be, uh, get to a scholarship to the school you want to go. You might not set the record that you wanted to, to break. Um, so I think that that mission is, is absolutely critical, not only for, for athletes to understand, but coaches as well. Cause as you know, as more than I, you're going to lose more and have more adversity than you're going to have wins and accomplishments. And if you're lucky enough in life, those are going to be pretty even. Um, but it's, it's how you define those wins and losses in your mission statement that can make all the difference in the world of how, how much of a winner you really are. Yeah. A hundred percent. You said it better than me. You didn't even mix your metaphors, Tom. I haven't had enough uh, years on the track to (laughs) get all the metaphors jumbled in my head. So you must've had notes written. (laughs) (laughs) I got to have a couple notes on this thing. Cause if it goes off the rails, everyone's like, gosh, Tom doesn't know what he's doing here. So uh, someone's got to keep the train on the tracks here. Um, that was go, let's metaphor. go back. Let's let's rewind a little bit. So we talked a little bit about uh, coaching. Now uh, we talked a little bit about having your coaches growing up. But for you as an athlete uh, growing mm-hmm. up, uh, you know, being in sports, what was that like for you? And 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 do you reflect on those days a lot? Do you wish things would have been different? Do you are you glad the experiences that you had? Talk a little bit about uh, your child experiences with sports. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really thankful for my upbringing. Um, it, it could have been different and the results may have been different. Um, but the lessons would have been different and the lessons that I learned from growing up and the people who influenced me, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that. You know, I, I, I didn't have, I wasn't the highest performing athlete. I wasn't the hardest working athlete. I needed, I needed the coach who, um, would get a little bit of red in the face, um, to say, love us you're not playing hard enough. You're not, you're not doing things hard enough. You're not reaching your potential. I needed that. I loved that external motiv- uh, motivation. Um, Cause it wasn't intrinsic, right? It was, it was outside. I needed somebody who saw something in me that I hadn't first seen in myself. Um, and, and I had some great coaches who did that um, as a, as a teacher and as a, a red faced coach, my, my youth team, my youth baseball coach, um, his name was, uh, Dick Moen in, I uh, grew up in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And boy, he was a red face and he was a red ass. And he was, he was just, um, he had a loud bark and not always bite. Um, but he, boy, did he teach me how to play baseball. Um, and he taught me how to work hard and I really appreciated him for it. And my dad was a coach on those teams too. And I think my dad was there as a nice, saw, nice, uh, nice, um, fine grit sandpaper to kind of soften the edges that might've <laughs> developed and, and yeah. wipe some tears from the 11 year old boy who didn't quite understand why, you know, coach Mullen was, um, was really going after us, but, um, it was great. And the thing that I love the most about Dick, and I think it has helped shape me as a coach is I also learned how to drywall from him and I learned how to shingle a roof from him. And so, yes, I was, um, I was, he was teaching me baseball when I was, you know, 10 years old through 15. Um, but he would, he would call my dad and be like, Hey, can, can I use Nick today? I gotta go, I gotta go shingle a shed. And, um, and I spent time with him away from the team. Um, and, 
and found value in him as a person and saw that he valued me as a person. Um, and most of my upbringing, I look back at who influenced me the most and, and why I'm thankful for them and um, how they shaped me and who I am. Um, growing up in Grand Forks, it's a small enough town where the, the teacher you have in school coaches you. Um, they shop at the same grocery store as you. You go to the same church as them. They probably teach you in Sunday school. Um, you're, they, they, their kids are in your classes. They're on your teams. Um, and you're just a part of the same community. Um, and uh, he was a great example of that. And, and my, my teacher, my, my, most, my most influential person into who I, who I am today as a teacher and a coach and a father, um, I'll try to say, I'll try to talk about him without being emotional. Um, his, his name is Matt Malm and I had Matt in fifth and sixth grade. And as when you, when you're a, when you're a teacher and I'd only had one male teacher at that point, um, and you're a young man who's, you know, becoming of age at 11 and 12, and you have, you have a male teacher who, um, who sees you as valuable and, um, pours himself into your interests, uh, it made the world of difference to me. My, my experience before that with a male teacher was very toxic. Um, he was a Korean war vet. Um, and he ran his class, like we were, um, in his boot camp, and that just, that wasn't us at 10 years old. Um, and Matt, Matt had my sister before me and then he had me, um, and he was our high school hockey coach, but he also, we went to the same church and when I had him in fifth and sixth grade, he would constantly tell me stories about his kids. And it was so obvious how much he loved his children. He had a son and a daughter, um, and he would tell us stories about them. And, and I just thought, man, Jake and Allie must have the coolest dad. I, I bet, I bet they've got, I bet their time, they, they must love spending time with Mr. Malm because I love spending time with Mr. Malm. He would throw his footballs at recess and be the all-time QB. And it's just the greatest thing. Um, and as we, as we went to junior high and high school, he coached hockey and I could barely put skate, tie skates, much less, um, skate on them. Um, he, he was always asking me how I was doing. Um, I would see him at church and he would ask how the family's doing. How's basketball going, Nick? Um, how's baseball? And then when I got into track later on in high school, um, he was still constantly um, asking how things were going. And I had the chance to coach his son when um, his son was probably first grade or something like that, just getting into co uh, coach pitch baseball. Um, and I was his son's coach. And, you know, he, he kind of, saw me, he kind of helped me see that reflection of, you know, uh, I was there for you and now you're there for my son. And, um, and I value kind of that circle, um, of, uh, what happens in a, in a community when, um, when you see those generations kind of turn over. Um, and I never had him as a coach. Um, but, but boy, knowing who he was and, um, the sex success he had as a coach and, um, how much I enjoyed having him as a teacher, at the age that I did, um, he's, he's, uh, he's really a significant figure in my life. And unfortunately he passed away young, um, about 10 years ago. Um, and it was just probably three, uh, it was, it was probably about seven years ago. Uh, I sent, I sent his son an email in May when it was teacher appreciation week. And I said, you know, Jake, I, you maybe don't remember me at all. Um, but I need to tell you how much I appreciate your dad because um, I'm sure, you know, these weeks and Father's Day's next month is, can be really difficult. Um, but your dad meant a lot to me. And I am doing what I'm doing now because of um, what your dad first gave me. And so 
Matt, when when you listen to this and other people who also uh, had an experience with with Matt Malm, um, he was a good one. Uh, and I try to I try to show the same pride in my family that he did um, and give back to my community the same way that he did and be present in all kids lives, not just those who are on his team um, or those who are in his classroom um, and, and extend it beyond, you know, the 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 class year, the school year or the season um, in which we have them. I really like that when you talk about either Dick or Matt, you didn't talk about winning this or winning that, or these records are undefeated, or you didn't talk about any of that stuff. We so much associate with sports. You talked about the lessons you learned, some of the hardships you endured, uh, the personal connection that you were able to make. Uh, and most of all, the, the time, energy, and effort that they put into you as this, this little kid who just wanted to play sports. And I think that's why a lot of coaches kind of get into this business because they want to lead by example. They want to be a good reflection on their community. They want to help their family, whether by blood or, or through an organization like a track team, get better. Um, it's also a lot easier to play baseball instead of drywall. I've done, <laughs> I've done, I'm not going to say this too loud, but I've done enough manual labor where almost anything in the world is better than doing drywall or pounding nails or moving sheetrock. And, uh, I think that if you can experience that, and I, I did very little of that, but I've done enough where when you're younger, you can really, uh, appreciate the fun things in life, the opportunities to have a good coach, to have, uh, um, just, a, a team, a, a, you're getting emotional, you're getting me emotional just mm-hmm. watching you here. Mm-hmm. You can appreciate that because you know how much they care and how much they're going to work for you. And you don't let them down when you're a 16 year old and you're trying to play running back for the varsity football team. You don't want to let your coach down when you know that they're going to be in class every day teaching. They're going to be at all these community events. They're going to be, uh, you know, in the stands talking to your parents and, and they just really want the best of you. And it seems like you would make uh, both Dick and Matt very proud given your, your, ability to go on this mission to help other people and not just focus on the wins and losses. Well, I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. And, you know, part of it for me, Tom is um, I, I think it's my vocation, you know, I think teaching and I think working with young people um, that's just, that's what I'm called to do. And, um, and I, I strongly sensed that when I was younger, my first job was coaching t-ball and being an umpire when I was 14 years old. And I always wanted to be a, a teacher and a coach. And um, I used to want to be a basketball coach and I'm sure glad I'm not now, but um, cause I love being a track and field coach and a cross country coach. Um, I don't think there are better sports uh, in the world to coach than those. So I, I, I definitely, it definitely feels me, it me it's me, you know, like I'm, I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and I was guided that way, you know, I was guided into, um, working with, working with people and being a mentor. Um, and I view my role as a te- as a teacher and as a coach, um, through the lens of mentorship. And there are a lot of things you do, a lot of different hats you wear as a mentor, um, and a coach, I, I wear a coaching hat. I wear a teaching hat. Um, I wear a, a father figure hat for some of the young men and women I work with. Um, and that's, that's okay. Um, that's good. I, um, I, I would hope that, um, 
yeah, the same. If, if I could give back the, to some of the things that Dick and Matt were able to give me um, when I was younger to some of the young people I work with, um, boy, I would, I would be, I'd feel like I did them well, you know? And that's what it's about. Too often we see coaches talking about being a good example, being a good person, being a good role model. And then the curtain gets pulled back and they aren't those things. And it's really unfortunate because so many people look up to them, whether it's at the high school level, whether it's collegiate level, whether it's a professional level, what are some ways that you try to lead by example, both for your family, your community and your athletes? Uh, well, one of the most important things that I intentionally do is I bring my kids around my team. I've got three boys. They're 11, eight and six. And <laughs> being a father to three boys um, at those ages is um, <laughs> that is an experience in itself. Uh, but I, I could not I could not uh, create the environment and the mentoring and the role models that they can get when they're around my team. Um, and, and I think having them around my team is really important to the, the young men and women on my team. Um, they see my value of family. They see my value of being a role model. Um, and they, they get to, they get to find that in within themselves too. So, um, my, that, that's, that's probably the most, um, the most important way that, um, I practice and try to hand that down is, um, getting, getting the young people involved in the relationship of my family, um, um, knowing my kids, knowing my wife, um, I, I have had them over to my house, um, in the same way that Dick taught me to sheetrock and he taught me to, um, shingle a roof. Um, I've had them over at my house, um, cut, cutting wood, uh, splitting wood, you know, dr driving the chainsaw around, teaching them how to drive a tray back up a trailer, um, for the first time. I, th I think all that stuff is just, is just really, um, important. And when you can share place, um, and you can share those, those, uh, those parts of your life, um, then it becomes more about, um, th then, it, then your program and you become, you really become about family, not just, you know, not just, uh, um, uh, uh, an exciting experience for a couple of months. Um, you, you really do then become about family, um, become about something bigger than, um, than the sport itself. It's a lot easier to buy into a person or a coach when their values line up both in their uh, professional setting and in their personal life, the way they treat their families, the way they treat their athletes, it's the way they treat their coaches. It's the way they treat a random person on the street and they, they live by the same values. They might apply those in different ways. They're not going to treat their kid the exact same way as an 18 year old, exactly the same way as their wife, exactly the same way as the 85 year old on the street, but the values, the mission, the end point that we keep talking about are, are still there and, and hold true. So thank you, Nick, so much for jumping on the podcast as a little bit of an emotional one, but I think that's an important one for us to talk about this stuff uh, and given uh, inspiration to coaches to keep finding what their mission is to find what that end point is to be a good example, not only for themselves, but for other coaches and athletes out there. Thanks for jumping on the pod. I really appreciate talking to you. Yeah, thank you.